It's something for nothing. The Rush Fan Cast. Jerry and Steve with you. Jerry, today we go back in time. That's very true. We do go back in time. Time Machine Tour. Yes, I'm very excited. The flux capacitor is ready. <laughs> I'm all set. Filled with banana peels and garbage. <laughs> is that what drove the flux capacitor? I don't remember. I haven't seen that movie in a while. Neither have I. Something I need to do this weekend, I think. Nah, probably. <laughs> None of those movies hold up. None of them. You don't think so? Not even Back to the no. Future? I can't imagine it does. I've watched a few movies with my younger daughter from the 80s, and none of them hold up. That is true. Not a single one. What did I watch the other day with my kids? Better Off Dead? Oh. I remember it being funny when I was 10, I guess. Not funny. <laughs> not funny, right? You know what we watched? Not we watched funny. Spaceballs. That's not funny either. Not a snicker in an hour and a half. Not a giggle. Nothing. Oh, man. Too much. Too much. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Rush Fancast. Instagram, find us at The Rushcast. Email Jerry. Tell him your 80s movie that has held up at therushcast at gmail.com. The bass intro and outro, that is Lex. Rate and review us on your favorite podcast app. We like that. And we like Jerry's email. Let's hear it, Jer. Yeah, I have one from Mike. He's from Fairfax, Missouri. Nice. Hi, Mike. And he mentions uh, something that I don't think we've mentioned yet is the article that I did with Liz Swan for Psychology Today. Oh, yeah. Do you remember when she was on the podcast and we were talking about the lyrics to Natural Science? She said, hey, we should think about this subject a little more. And it turned into an article on Psychology Today. Yeah, I did tweet about it, but we haven't talked about it. So how can people get the article? Well, you'd have to go to Psychology Today. You could just <laughs> search for, I guess you could search for my name, actually, because I'm bylined on it or you could search for liz swan she has her own page it's called the philosopher is in nice or you could just search for my name and it'll come up very cool so anyway he begins i just wanted to compliment you for your contribution to the article you co-authored with liz swan it was very well written and succinct for much of my adult life i have been skeptical of man's influence on our climate believing as a lifelong conservative republican that climate change warnings were essentially a tool that the left was using try to coerce us into making changes that were unnecessary. My thinking on that subject has changed over the last few years, as well as my unquestioned acceptance of the Republican orthodoxy on some issues. Also, I have to say I was both surprised and pleased to learn that a professor of history at one of the most politically conservative colleges in the nation had written a book about Neil's lyrics and final years. And he's talking about Brad Berzer, who we had on the show for his book, Repercussions. Right. For several years, I have received Hillsdale's monthly newsletter entitled Imprimus and agreed with his commentary for most of that period of time. However, in the last few years, it seems as if it has almost just become a podium for the right's grievance politics. Maybe they are the same politics as they've always been and my beliefs have changed. In any case, it is refreshing for me to know that there's someone at Hillsdale that's willing to share Neil's thoughts about subjects that may not fit into Hillsdale's general philosophy on those subjects. I am glad to know about the book and intend to order a copy. I haven't yet listened to the podcast because I was late to your party and have been listening to each podcast chronologically from its inception, but I'm going to make an exception for this one. And just so you know, you and Steve are still as entertaining and enjoyable as ever. Oh, wow. And that was Mike. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate that email. And so does Jerry, of course. I did. Yeah. And it's nice to see that he's coming around on climate change. It is nice to see. Um, I didn't know that about Brad. I had no idea 
Hillsdale was a conservative college, and I'm not even sure what that means. Yeah, I didn't know either, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me either. I did. I wrote him back. I said, it, even if I had known, it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. If you're a Rush fan, you're good with us. That's right. That's the way it works. As I mentioned, we're going to be talking about Rush's Time Machine 2011 Live in Cleveland album today. Released November 8th, 2011. Recorded April 15th, 2011 at the Quicken Loans Arena in Cleveland. Was also released on DVD and Blu-ray. Was this the first live album released on Blu-ray? I didn't look that up. I wonder if it was. I don't know. Do you want me to look it up right now? You can while I'm talking. Sure. The DVD was nominated for a Juno Award in the Music DVD of the Year category, and the DVD went platinum two times. Wow, really? Yeah, twice platinum. That's crazy. That is crazy. For a concert video, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Later released as part of the R40 DVD set, and this was recorded by Banger Films, who also did Beyond the Lighted Stage. Oh, I didn't know that either. Look at you. And listening to this album, Jer, the first thing I thought of was July 24th, 2010, when we saw the Time Machine tour at Jones Beach. Yes, I was thinking the same thing. I think that may be the best Rush concert I have ever seen. What would you say? Yeah, I think it was. I think it might have been. Although, you know, R40, one of the R40 dates was great too. They're neck and neck. Yeah, I mean, they're all great. But for some reason, that particular show stood out for me. And listening to this album brought all those memories back for me. Right. Was that the only time we saw them on this tour? I believe we saw them twice, but for some reason, Jones Beach, the outdoor setting, and it was the first show we saw right. on that tour and seeing them perform moving pictures in its entirety for the first time, all that stuff, just, I was over the moon. Yeah. I mean, Jones Beach is just a great place to see a show. A terrible place to get out of seeing a show though. Oh yeah. If you recall, there's like one footpath. <laughs> <laughs> to the parking lot. That's just like some through some sand dunes or something. It's really, really terrible. Terrible to get there. Terrible to get out. But when you're there, it's <laughs> heaven. That's <laughs> true. So why don't we get right into it, Jer? Okay. I can't wait. Track one on disc one is The Spirit of Radio. Now, the set list on this album is pretty much the same set list we saw at Jones Beach, so we can refresh our memories as we go along here. Right. And what stood out to me on this is the crowd. What did you think? The crowd is extremely loud, right? Yeah, in the mix, right? In the mix. It's very high up there. Is it too loud in the mix? At some places, I think it might be a little too loud. I agree. Unnecessarily loud. But what are you going to do? I'm not, uh, I'm not in the room when they're mixing these albums. So I don't know. And like with a lot of live albums, I think the first couple of tracks on this album aren't as well mixed as the others. I think just because they're just trying to get the sound right in the room. 
So this track and the next one weren't perfect for me, but maybe I'm just being overly picky. See, I didn't really notice that. You're trying to say that like the instruments aren't recorded well? I wouldn't say they're not recorded well. I would just say they're not quite as crisp and clear as in the later sections of this record. I didn't notice that, but then again, I don't have the greatest hearing anymore. So (laughs) (laughs) certain frequencies are just completely dead. But can you start a set any better than the spirit of radio? We say this all the time. I know we say it all the time. It is a great way to start a set. And you know, if I remember correctly, during the show, they had a screen up behind them. And every time they played a song, this little dial would roll back and show a different year. Right, right. So that was really cool. And they started with 1980. Right. What better year to start? No, it was just so cool to see, you know, the years moving backwards and forwards. As always, the production of the show itself was fantastic. Now, do you think this was a better way to do it than the way they did it on the R40 tour, just starting from the new stuff and going all the way back in time? Or do you think jumping around was better? That's hard to say. I mean, obviously, I've loved the concerts I've, I went to before R40, but I think as a send-off, the reverse chronology was a great, great idea. They were both great ideas. Yeah. Let's go with that. Yeah, I was just trying for a diplomatic answer there. So for track two, the time machine moves to 1987, Jer. Time stands still. Again, what stands out to me is the perfect set list construction has begun already. What a great choice for song two, right? I know. When we made our fake set lists, it was impossible, right? Yeah. We did not even come close to doing half as good a job as this set list is. This is an excellent set list from beginning to end. Do you think it was hard for them to put this together or do you think it was easy for them to do this? I don't really know. I have no idea what would make them pick Time Stands Still as the second song. But again, like we've said, Rush songs in any order are great. Doesn't matter. Yeah, I just wonder if they just pulled it out of a hat, but no way they did that, <laughs> right? No, I mean, it's just a great song. Probably the, the obvious choice from Hold Your Fire, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And we may have mentioned this before, but or I may have mentioned this before. Why do you think Amy Mann never joined Rush on stage to perform this? That's a long way to go for one line, right? Well, it's a long way to go, but at some point they may have been in Amy Mann's hometown. I don't know what that is. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. She must've been on tour. They must've crossed paths somewhere. Yeah. I mean, if she lived in New York, why not go to Madison square garden or go to radio city or go to Jones beach and, and sing with rush. I mean, maybe they never invited her. Who knows? I don't know. I don't want to cause a controversy here. Steve. (laughs) It's going to bring back some bad memories for Amy Mann. I don't know. I just thought it would have been cool. I mean, how great would it have been if we were at that show and Amy walked out on stage, (laughs) right? That would have been great. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's that's what I think every time I hear this song live. Why wasn't Amy there? Why wasn't she there? She could have got the camera out like in the video and they could have had her on <laughs> cables flying across <laughs> the stage. What do you think? <laughs> See, now that would have been great. That I would go for. Maybe that's why she didn't want to do it because that's what they pitched her every time. But somehow I don't think they pitched that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move on to track three. The time machine goes to 1989, Jerry. We'll see if I can get all these dates right. Presto. I'm not about you Jeff, but i remember being so psyched when they played this yeah and i looked it up but this is the first time they ever played it yeah on this tour i mean obviously they played it before the show but on the tour it's the first time they ever played this song right and it again it's a it's a very unusual choice right yeah but it's one of those tracks on presto that i wish they had played on the presto right. tour and when they I threw know. it in here i was over the moon it's- it's just fantastic. I know. What a what a random assortment of songs some of these are, right? But they're so great. I mean, who would put Time Stand Still next to Presto? Even if you were making a like a I was gonna say mixtape, but playlist for someone. I don't think you would put these two songs right next to each other because you probably think they wouldn't work, but they do. The thing that jumped out to me here was Alex's acoustic guitar sound is just incredible. Yeah. Incredible. I know. I don't remember if he was playing an actual acoustic or if he was playing his electric. I don't know. I don't know, but it sounds great no matter what he's doing. Yeah, it does sound great. Now, I wanted to read something that I saw in the liner notes. I don't know if you read the liner notes, Jer. I did not. During the guitar solo of the song Presto was an unscheduled brain fart on my part. And so for the sake of continuity and to save my own face, rather than leave the song out of the show, we chose to repair it with a few seconds of my live performance of that song from another show. Oh. Getty. Interesting. Yeah, so Getty screwed up in Cleveland during the solo on Presto, and they edited in a piece from a different show. Oh. I would have liked to have heard the the mistake. I think that would have been cool. I just think it's so nice of Getty to tell us that. Why did he even have to bother? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> They're so honest. No one even asked. No one even asked. No one would have noticed. Would you have noticed? No, probably not. Oh, I know. If you were at the Cleveland show, maybe you remember it was a Uh, colossal screw up. (laughs) How big of a screw up could it be though? I don't know. And how could you possibly remember that? Right. Did he break a string? That would be, that would be quite a screw up. But I guess Getty figures if there's one person that remembers it, he wanted to let them know. Right. He wanted to fess up. He wanted to fess up, right? He, he wanted to be honest before he got caught. Which leads us to track four on the time machine, Jarrett. I've got this one too, 1993. Stick it out. Prior to this, Getty salutes the city of Cleveland, right where it all began. 
where it all began. Which is, I think, why they chose Cleveland. Oh, yeah. That's, that's why they chose Cleveland. I was reading this tour in Wandering the Face of the Earth, and that's what he said, is that when they were thinking about doing another live video and album, they couldn't believe that they had never recorded anything in Cleveland before, since that's inarguably where they got their start in America. Mm-hmm. So it just only made sense to record it there for once. But when it comes to Stick It Out, they hadn't played this in 13 years. Wow. They're really blowing the dust off some of these songs, right? Yeah, and this is so heavy, so great. Oh, yeah. So much muscle. Yeah, and such a great contrast to the previous track, Presto, right? I know, it's ridiculous. And, you know, we didn't mention the guitar solo in The Spirit of Radio, but I'm going to mention the guitar solo in Stick It Out. Alex is just, he's a volcano in this entire recording. He is just otherworldly, really. He really is. Yeah, I know. He's great. We could mention the solo in every single song and say it's great, which we've done before. We have done it before. It's getting kind of old, isn't it? Or isn't it? I, I guess so. <laughs> but it's so, they're so different too from the solos we usually hear. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what kind of voodoo was going on on that stage that night. Yeah, there are some solos that he does always the way he did it on the album, like Limelight, right? Yeah. But a song like this, does he have to do it exactly the same way he did it on the record? Probably not. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Track five, Jer, on Time Machine. 2007. I had to think about that one. Working them angels. <laughs> This time, this song is only four years old. Yes. So they didn't have to blow the dust off this one. No, but you notice they're just bouncing around all over the place. Yeah. Right? I mean, they're kind of going in chronological order at this part, right? Because we got Spirit of Radio through Working Them Angels. So they're just cherry picking songs in a row from their albums, which is just fantastic. And this is just another great version of this song. I mean, Alex is, again, his the acoustic guitar sounds perfect mm-hmm. and it working them angels probably isn't my favorite song on snakes and arrows, but this version is really good. Yeah. I don't think it's the band's favorite song on snakes and arrows either, but I think it's a song that the band really loved to play because they played it a lot between 2007 and when they retired. That's true. I would say their favorite song on snakes and arrows is faithless. All three of them always talk about how, They love that song. Yes. And that's coming up soon. It is coming up soon. But before that, we've got track six. Back to 1993, Jer. Leave that thing alone. As I've mentioned a few times, 
This has never been one of my favorite instrumental tracks. I don't know why, even when we were seeing them play this live, but the past two times we've talked about live albums and they've had this song on the live album. It's fantastic. I don't know what I was thinking when we saw them. That's what I had written down here. Yeah. Not one of your favorites, right? But how do you feel about it now? (laughs) Yeah. I just love it. I mean, I just love the sound of it. And Getty is just going bananas. Yeah. At the end. Bananas. And the thing that stood out to me is just the emotion that Alex puts into this song more so than on the studio version, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing is there's just so much more energy to it live than the studio version. And they placed it perfectly in the set as they always do. As they always do. This is a fantastic set. Oh yeah. Even better than the the other ones we've talked about, which were also fantastic sets. Yeah, I mean, I was going to get to this at the end. I feel like this might be the best set list they ever put together. Yeah, it very well might be because I had that same note, Steve. Look at that. Look at that. We're sharing a brain cell tonight. That brings us back to 2007 on the Time Machine, Jer. The aforementioned Faithless. Don't have faith in faith. I don't believe in dreams. Don't call me Faithless. As I said, Getty always mentions this as a favorite of his, and he says it again right. prior to them playing it. And it's a favorite of ours too, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. So by this time, how do you think the album is sounding, Steve? Because I think that Faithless is like crystal clear. You can hear the strings. Everything sounds beautiful. We are sharing a brain today, Jer, because I wrote down exactly that. How do you feel about the mix now? Right. That we're seven songs in. Yeah. And I thought the same thing. Now this is sounding great. It does sound great. I mean, you just, I guess when the second verse comes in, you can just hear those strings Mm -hmm. swooping. I mean, obviously, they're not strings. There's nobody playing the strings on stage. It's just like a, you know, like a pre-recorded bit, but it sounds beautiful. It sounds like there's strings on stage. Yeah. How do you feel about this album versus other live albums as far as the sound goes? Could you possibly even compare them? No. They all sound so different. Well, that's what I mean. Is this better or, or worse than others or on par? I think it's on par with the later live albums. Okay. Okay. Like the first three or four live albums had their own sound. But then as they released them like per album, they just had, you know, the sound of that album that was most recently released, you Mm -hmm. know, this one doesn't have that because they were just touring, I guess, just for the sake of touring. Right. Right. So it's an unplaceable kind of sound. So track eight, Jer. On the Time Machine is a sneak preview of Clockwork Angels. It's BU2B. What did they do with the clock on this one? Did they go forward to 2012 or did they just 
stick to the current time, 2011. We should have watched the video. I didn't watch the video. I didn't watch the video either. I did years ago, but I didn't watch it for this. Huh. I don't know. I wonder what they did. Did they go forward in time? <laughs> I don't know. They had These were the only two songs they had written at this time right. for the album, right? Maybe they didn't even know when the album was coming out. Now, do you remember hearing this song for the first time? Yes. And do you remember what your thoughts were when you heard this for the first time? Yeah, I did not like it at all. Really? Yeah, I wasn't into it. I guess this for me, you know, the lyrics are so important and I didn't know the lyrics. And I was like, eh, okay, it's a new song. I don't think I've ever seen Rush play a brand new song, except on this tour. Well, on the first tour you saw them, you saw all those songs that were brand new to you. Brand new to me. But I mean, a song that they hadn't recorded yet, that they were testing out from the, their next album to come. This was the only time we ever saw them do that. Huh. And so I just wasn't as into it. I remember loving it. I thought it was great. Really? Yeah. Mm. I wasn't that into it. It was impressive, of course, because it's Rush, but I just wasn't that into it. I think it, like I said, I think it was because I didn't know the lyrics and that's a lot of it for me. Okay. Now listening to it now within the context of this record, what are your thoughts now? Oh, it's, that's amazing. <laughs> right? Well, of course it is. <laughs> I wish I had appreciated it at the time. So heavy. Maybe Rush's heaviest song ever. Is that possible to say? Oh, it's, yeah, it's so heavy. So heavy. Is it number one on the heavy list? I don't know. How would we, how would we even determine that? I don't know. Just pure decibels? We should ask the Twitter folks. What do you think? It's the heaviest song. Huh. Yeah, let's ask them. You know, Stick It Out's probably up there too. That's true. Overture's probably up there too. Yeah, okay. Cygnus X1, maybe, right? Yeah. Okay. I mean, we could come up with a whole list. Yeah, I know. I was just going to say, why don't we just name, <laughs> name so many songs? But this might be number one. Yeah, it's very, very, it's just crashing, right? Something to ponder. Email us. Let us know what you think the heaviest Rush song is. Yep. And while you do that, let's listen to track nine, Jer. We're going back to 1980 again. Free will. say it again what a set list <laughs> I know. this might be the craziest most insane version of this song captured live yeah am i right oh yeah the solo section always incredible was extra incredible right right i mean alex like i said alex is just what's he doing what is he doing i don't know man and getty is just popping that bass and slapping that bass slapping that bass Oh, it's such a great, such a great like minute or two. You know what I think it is? I think every time they play free will, they try and one up the last time they played free will, right? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. This is just <laughs> such an, I mean, I haven't listened to this album. Like I said, I, I don't really listen to live rush that often. So I hadn't heard this album in a long time. 
And this version, I could not believe it when I was listening to it. I think I was, I don't remember what I was doing. I think I was making dinner while I was listening and I had to stop. <laughs> and I was like, what, what's going on? I don't want to cut my finger because I'm paying attention to this song. Uh, it's just insanity. And it is. It seems like they got every hit on this record, every single one. Or at least it right. seems that way. I noticed nothing from Grace Under Pressure, though. That would have been nice. You know, I didn't notice that, but I, yeah. I guess if you play every song from Moving Pictures, you got to leave some album out, right? <laughs> you leave something out. Well, that's the thing. They play every song from Moving Pictures, but yet there are so many songs. I know. It's crazy. Now, only right. one song from Power Windows, Jar. We're going back to 1986 for this next one. Track 10 is Marathon. And again, I love the placement of Marathon here. I know. It's just, it's brilliant. And what a great version of the song. Amazing. I always have a soft spot for Power Windows songs live. Reminds me of that first show we went to, Jer. Yeah. But in between Free Will and Subdivisions, I mean, (laughs) I I never would have thought to put it there, but it was perfect. Man, I would just love to know how they came up with their set lists. It really is crazy. The thing that jumped out at me here was the explosion when he says, shot in the dark, right? (laughs) Right. Bang! (laughs) (laughs) And it was loud. I remember at the show, it was loud. Oh, yeah. And the segue into track 11, like I said, subdivisions. Come on, right? Yeah. Subdivisions. I mean. Did they play subdivisions every single show since Signals, or did they skip subdivisions on a tour? Was it like Tom Sawyer? Did they play it all the time? It seems like they did. They should have. Yeah, they definitely should have. Someone will tell us. Someone will tell. We should know that, shouldn't we? Of course we should. We should be bigger Rush fans than we are, Steve. We don't know much. We really don't. (laughs) But, I mean, you can't go wrong with subdivisions. Ever. No. And for some reason, Getty's keyboard solo sounds um, just amazing, right? Everything sounds great. His vocals sound amazing. He's really warmed up by this point. He sounds yeah. great. And to me, what stands out on this is, Neil, as it always does, Neil's drumming. Yeah. I mean, he's just insane. Every time he plays subdivisions, it's insane. Yeah. And if you air drum along, like I was doing, your arms get tired. Oh, yeah. So I can't imagine actually playing. Really, it's it's crazy. Now, this is the end of set one. So they ended set one with subdivisions. It took a 15-minute yeah. break. But it's not the end of side one of the album. The first disc has four more songs on it. Right, and there's no discernible break at all. No. They don't stop at all. It just sounds as if this was just the next song right after subdivisions. Now, I'd like to group these next seven tracks together, Jeb, because this is when Rush played moving pictures in its entirety. Right. 
Tom Sawyer, Red Barchetta, YYZ, Limelight, The Camera Eye, Witch Hunt, and Vital Signs. Back to back to back to back to back to back. Yep. A thing of beauty. It just reminded me of the pure elation that I felt that night in Jones Beach. We knew they were going to do it. Yep. But for some reason, seeing them actually do it, as they went from song to song, I got more and more excited. I mean, it was just so great. I think the highlight for me was the camera eye, seeing them play the camera eye. first time we saw them do it right i think the guitar solo in cameraai the second part of the cameraai it's one of my favorites and it's such a long complicated song mm-hmm. it was just so amazing that night to see them play i mean it was just one of those things i, I love full albums it was it's just a great choice to play the entire album why is it that that's so great not just rush to see any band play an album in its entirety that you, an album that you love. Why is that so great? I don't know. It's so great. I saw Springsteen do it. It's so great. (laughs) I wish that bands would do that all the time. Just play their, one of their best albums in its entirety. And if you really love the band, it doesn't matter what album it is. I mean, if Rush played Grace Under Pressure in its entirety, we would have went nuts. Right. Didn't we see Matthew Sweet play Girlfriend in its entirety? Oh yeah. It was amazing. It was amazing, right? Amazing. Dang. Matthew Sweet is very underrated. He is very underrated. If you don't listen to Matthew Sweet, do it. Um, I would love to see more. I would have loved to have seen them play. They, you know, they could have done eight Time Machine tours. You know what I mean? They could have done so many albums. They should have just kept on going. Too bad they didn't have the ability, I know with the lighting show and all this stuff, to do a different album every night. Oh, that would have been incredible. We would have had to go to every show across the country. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that would have been something else. Lucky for our bank accounts, they didn't do that. Yeah, really. So other things that stood out in moving pictures, the crowd was way into it during this portion of the show, as you could imagine. Here's something that I noticed. I wonder if you did. During Tom Sawyer, Getty on the record and in previous tours would say today's Tom Soye, right? Like, uh, Paul Rudd, <laughs> Paul Rudd made fun of him, right? For doing that. Right. But on this record, he pronounces it Tom Sawyer. I didn't notice that. Do you think after I love you, man, and the whole thing with Paul Rudd, <laughs> Getty figured, you know what? I'm not going to do it that way anymore. I didn't notice it. I'm going to have to go back and listen to it now. I didn't notice that. <laughs> That's funny though. Yeah, because this is after they recorded that whole bit with Paul Rudd and he was doing this Tom Soye, right? Right. Yet he didn't do it here. See, now I want to go ahead and listen to the, the next couple of live albums and see how he sings Tom Sawyer. That's a good point. That's a good point. I didn't do that. We need to do that. Yeah, we still need to do that. Somebody out there must know the answer. I wonder if he changed his his ways after that. Getty knows. Oh, I'm sure he does. We'll just have to have him on to talk about it. 
He changed his ways. He saw the error of his ways all these years later. He's like, I have been saying soy ye. <laughs> Uh, the sound effects on Red Barchetta were great. You know, the, the yep. video that they played along with that show. YYZ just, you know, it's YYZ. Alex is just leaning on that whammy bar Mm -hmm. like a madman. You mentioned the camera eye, which was amazing and vital signs to me. Getty was really goofing around on vital signs. Didn't you think? (sighs) Yeah, he really was. He was doing like a little bit of stuttering on some of the lines and just having a great time. Having fun. Cause why not? Right. Sometimes I think it's maturity. Well, that's just it. Getty, Alex, and Neil were having fun. Every single show, they had fun. And because they had fun, we had fun. Right. That's what made it so great. After Vital Signs, Getty says something like, can't believe that album's almost 31 years old, almost as old as lyrics over there. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Great. But I mean, I can't even, I can't even talk about it. I mean, it's, I still can't believe we saw moving pictures in its entirety. I really can't. Yeah. It's just one of those great concert memories. And that brings us to track four, Jar, on the time machine disc two. Not sure what year they chose for this one. Another Clockwork Angels preview. It is Caravan. So I must ask you, what were your thoughts on Caravan? I also didn't like it. Really? Yeah, I just it, it wasn't gelling for me as a as a song. Obviously, within the context of Clockwork Angels, it's great, but at the time, huh. it didn't really strike me. Okay, I I remember thinking I can't wait for this new record. I just again, it's the lyrics. I think I don't didn't understand the lyrics, so hmm. I didn't really get it. All right. Well, do you get it now? Yeah, I get it now. It's, it's <laughs> it's so it's so good it's such a great version well lucky they've documented it here jerry so you can go back and listen to this it would have been lost forever in my mind right again another great heavy track to me neil stood out for me on this one yeah he's a monster he has the beautiful that beautiful kit that clockwork angels like kit Mm -hmm. he's really uh bringing it all to the stage and that Sends us nicely into track five on disc two, Jer, which is Moto Perpetuo, Neil's drum solo. Right. Which translates to perpetual motion. Perpetual motion, right. 
I love how this solo builds. What were your thoughts on this solo? Now, this solo is basically from scratch. There isn't anything from his previous solos. Like usually there's mm-hmm. some kind of thread from one tour's solo to the next, even if it's just that that little that little part he plays on the on yep. his little machine. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then he does it slower and then he does it right. faster and then he does it slower. But this is all all new. And some of this did carry over to future solos though. Don't you think? Yes. Yeah, I think so. But it was definitely a brand new retooling of his soloing. And it's one of his it's one of his best, let's be honest. I feel like every single live album, his solo gets better. Yes. So in Wandering the Face of the Earth, they mentioned that it was on this tour that they, that Joe Bergamini recorded Neil playing live for his DVD. Mm-hmm. So maybe Neil had that in mind, that he needed to, to do something fresh oh, for his DVD. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. We'll have to email Joe and ask him. I bet you he knows. He would know. That's absolutely right. We can email Joe and on a future episode, we'll let you know. Yeah. And after this amazing solo, O'Malley needs to take a break, Jer. O'Malley needs, that's what I wrote down. O'Malley (laughs) needs to take a break. (laughs) Which brings us to track six. This is just a beautiful acoustic guitar break by Alex leading into the next song. What are your thoughts on this, hearing this again after, I don't know how many years, 11 years or so? When I first heard it, all I could think of was Bruins Bane, mm-hmm. and I was waiting for it to go into the trees. Right. So it was, it was kind of a pleasant surprise to hear Closer to the Heart, even though I knew Closer to the Heart was coming up. I still, in my mind, part of my mind, wanted to go right to the trees. And disc two, track seven, is indeed closer to the heart. Yet another appearance of this song on a live Rush album. So many of them. Yeah, they just love playing this song and including it on live albums. There are so many, I can't really compare them, but this one, Getty, sounds extra emotional. Am I off base there? I didn't notice that. What about that heavier section in the middle? What'd you think of that? Oh, I loved it. And I love at the end, too, when they they shake up the whole song. Yeah. 
it made me wonder what the song would sound like if the entire thing sounded like the end of the song. I don't know. Good question. If you could just do the whole song that way, it would completely change everything. Again, they're just having fun here. Yeah. They're just mixing it up just because they can. They can. They always can. Which brings us to track eight on the time machine, Jared. Let's go back to 1976 on disc two, Overture and Temples of Syrinx. This is always amazing live, and here it's yep. amazing. Here it's amazing. I just put down awesome as usual. Anything in particular stand out for you on this version? No, it's just uh, great as it always is, right? Could make the top 10 list of heavy Rush songs ever. <laughs> it might make the top 10 list. And the crowd yelling hey is always cool. Yeah, they like, like we mentioned before, the crowd is loud, very loud in this section. So they really turned up the hay. The haymakers. The haymakers, right. <laughs> Track nine on the time machine, Jer, on disc two, is Far Crop. Again, great set construction here. This flowed perfectly from Temples into Far Cry. And these songs are, what, 30-plus years apart, but still sounds great. I know. Just like all the songs that seem randomly placed, right? Marathon and Time Stand Still, Far Cry. It just sounds just as home after 2112 as it does anywhere else in a set list. And like we said with working them angels, Getty, Alex, and Neil clearly loved performing this one live. I think they played this on every tour. I'd have to check, but I think they did. And it, it is such a, an amazing song. I mean, they were just cooking by the time they got to Snakes and Arrows, right? Absolutely. Now, this was the end of the show, the end of set two. Yep. But it wasn't over. Track 10 on side two is La Villa Strangiato.
Now, they're really having fun here, Jared. These, this Oompa Loompa thing <laughs> yeah. at the opening is amazing. Right. And that uh, harkens back to like the videos that were shown at the beginning of the show and before set two with the, the true history of Rush or mm-hmm. when you know there was a band Rash playing the, the, the polka versions songs. And when they start the encore with Levio Strangiato, you know you're in for a long encore. <laughs> and you're happy about right. it. Right. I don't know if I ever told you this, but someone, it was a long time ago, somebody sent me, let me see, did Mike check this date? This was from March. In March, one of our listeners named Doug sent me just dozens of bootleg versions of Alex's rants during the Via Strangiato. Oh, okay. There was always that one section where he would just say crazy stuff. He doesn't do it here, but he sent me all of these different versions of of Alex just saying the craziest things. We should probably, maybe I should, maybe we should do a whole podcast with just our favorite ones. I should send you this thing. Did he string them all together or were they separate? They're just all separate files. (laughs) It's just funny listening to them all in a row. One day when I have a lot of time, we'll, uh, we'll put that podcast together. <laughs> yes. And Alex's solos on this song. I mean, yeah. I mean, what can you say? It doesn't get any better. It doesn't get any better. Really? It really doesn't. But what might get better is the final song, Jer. Working Man. Again, they've done this on previous tours. We get the reggae opening and a little bit longer this time, I think. Yeah, a little bit longer. But obviously, there's something about this night. Uh, what is Alex doing in the solo? I don't know, man. It's unbelievable, right? What is he doing? How is he playing? What, what, what notes is he? What is going on? I don't know, man. Again, he's a, he's a god on this song. What I wrote down is Rush is having so much fun on this night. So much fun. Man, I just can't get over this song. They're having a blast. And it just makes me wonder how Getty and Alex are filling that void, you know? So much fun they had touring, right? It's got to be tough not to be able to do it anymore. Yeah, I would imagine it would be. I mean, they've had a couple of chances recently. I'm sure it's been bittersweet, right? Yeah, but I mean, I don't mean that. I mean, to play a couple of one-offs like that, but to be together, I mean, they'll never be together with Neil again, obviously. Right. But the three of them together, having this much fun, it's got to be tough to have that missing from your life. It really does. Yes, I would imagine it would be. I mean, it's tough just as fans not seeing them, right? Yeah. And as we always say, you know, Working Man could have been one of 20 songs they could have ended with. But you never go wrong with Working Man. You can never go wrong with Working Man, especially the way it's played here. And of course, the extra special ending, a little bit of Cygnus at the end. I always hated it when they did that. <laughs> Why? Because I was expecting them to go into Cygnus? it. Yeah, and then they didn't. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. 
<laughs> I mean, how great would that have been if they ended with that? Yeah, that would be cool. I always got pissed. I was like, oh, what a tease. They're teases. So unfair question, Jer. How does Time Machine stack up versus other live albums? Unfair, I know. It's totally unfair. I can't place it anywhere. It's just, it's so good. All the live albums we've talked about most recently have just been great. So Russian Rio, Snakes and Arrows, this one, the live one from, you know, Live and YYZ. Mm. I don't know what to say. They're just all fantastic. All right. Unfair question number two. Is this mm. Rush's greatest set list ever? Um, it might be. It's a, definitely, for me, a toss-up between this one and the 40th anniversary tour. Okay. What about you? You know what? I think I'm going to go with 40th anniversary also because you said they left out Grace Under Pressure. And I don't know if I could pick a set list without a Grace Under Pressure song in it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I didn't miss it in this set list, obviously, because Moving Pictures is played in its entirety. Right. See, there you go. So there's that. Yeah, there's that. You get every single there's Moving Pictures song. Right, that little thing. Right. <laughs> so tough. So tough. 40 minutes straight of one album, right? Really does put this set list, if not at the top, near the top. Yes, I agree. You can find us on Twitter. We are at RushFanCast. Instagram, you can find us at TheRushCast. Email Jerry. Let him know what your favorite set list is. Let him know what you thought of our conversation on Time Machine. TheRushCast at gmail.com. Bass intro and outro. That's Lex. Jerry, I hope you have a great quote to wrap this up for us. I do. That's from Far Cry. Oh, nice. One day I feel... I'm on top of the world, and the next it's falling in on me. I can get back on. I can get back on. I don't think I can get back on. No, either can I. I'm off. <laughs> Thanks, Jer. I right, see you.